Welcome to Be Your Own Muse, a podcast presentation of the Spelman College Museum of Fine Art. I'm Floyd Hall. Be Your Own Muse is presented as an extension of the museum's exhibition programming. In this episode, we present a conversation with Zoe Whitley, research curator at Tate Modern and co-curator of the exhibition, Soul of a Nation. Whitley was a guest of the museum during the current exhibition, Deborah Roberts, The Evolution of Mimi, on display from January 25th through May 19th, 2018. Welcome to Be Your Own Muse. I am Floyd Hall, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with curator Zoe Whitley, uh, co-curator of the exhibition Soul of a Nation, Art in the Age of Black Power. Zoe, how are you? I'm fine, Floyd. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to have some time with you today. Uh, Soul of a Nation uh, debuted in 2017 at yes. the Tate. In July, we opened. Um and it's been just a wonderful ride. It's been fantastic to share the exhibition with so many people in the UK. When the exhibition was on from July through October. October is Black History Month in the UK. And now to have the exhibition um, in the US is just insanely exciting. And it's at Crystal Bridges Museum in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. So what is it like taking the exhibition that you helped you know, bring to life in one place and then see it come alive again. Well, it's wonderful to collaborate with people and the the desire to share it. Uh, we really have to credit uh, not only Darren Walker and the Ford Foundation, but also Alice Walton, who was excited to bring the show to the United States. Um, my colleague and friend, uh, Lauren Haynes, who's curator at Crystal Bridges, has uh, completely... Uh, made it her own in Crystal Bridges, but Mark, my co-curator, and I were very happy to come to Arkansas to to see it bear fruit, to also see a number of the artists again. Um, so it's a good moment. You know, it's it's different each place, but you know, the most important thing is being able to to see the art experienced by as many people as possible, and people are excited to to see the work and to hear these stories, and so that's been like really really rewarding you grew up in dc i did originally i did so talk about how one gets from growing up in dc to a curator at the tate <laughs> well uh, it's a long story i mean a lot of it the relocations were beyond my control so mm -hmm. i lived in dc as a little girl and then um, my parents moved to la and so i grew up in north hollywood in the valley um, but I went to a pretty special high school where I was able to study art history and studio art while I was in high school. Um, and then basically from that point, like I definitely was very, very interested in museums. And it's not like from a teenager I was thinking I would necessarily be a curator, but I was interested in art. Um, and was making a lot of art at that time, even though I definitely don't consider myself an artist now. So then when it came time to go to college, um, I ended up at Swarthmore College, a small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania, and I studied art history. Um, and while I was there, I 
was very fortunate um, in partly by that point being a California resident, got to have um, a Mellon Minority Undergraduate Internship at LACMA, so my local museum, the LA County Museum of Art. And so for a summer I worked with a really inspiring group of women um, in the costume and textiles department. And it was actually those women who first um, introduced to me what was possible, that it was possible to work in a museum, that it might be something that was right for me. And they also encouraged me to think about going on to study for an MA in London. So, you know, the route kind of started um, there at that point. And based on their advice, I did end up going to do a master's degree at the Royal College of Art in London. And so that's that's part of what got me there. Yeah. Is there one piece of, 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 of art or one artist that really, I would say, maybe inspired you at an, at an early age that, that really sparked your interest or your intrigue? Mm, um, there's probably two. Um, there's the, the Henry Tanner um, oil painting that's in the L.A. County Museum of Art. Um, I think it's Daniel in the Lion's Den. Um, it's more the idea of Henry Tanner as a black artist and seeing him in um, the major museum that was in the city where I grew up rather than the fact of the painting. Um, and then in a very different way, um, an artist's space in Los Angeles, Ed Ruscha, and I remember even seeing the label and not being able to pronounce his last name, um, but one of his monumental paintings that's in black and white, um, and it says sin in these big black letters, and you've got those kind of like sun rays coming through the clouds, like you get on those kind of um, inspirational religious cards, and there was something that I thought was just... I mean, in my California teenage way, so awesome about the painting. Like, I couldn't really put it into words. I would just, I really liked to go and see it. I didn't know that Ed Ruscha was based in Los Angeles at the time, but it just spoke to me. So I think both of those in their own way. The word curate or, or to curate is something that is being claimed by lots of people. Oh, yeah. Um, you can curate your playlist, curate your wardrobe. Yeah. Exactly. Curate your dinner party. Yeah, everything. So as someone who is a curator, yeah. what does that word mean to you now? Or how do you walk in that, in that word now, maybe versus when you first maybe started down this path? Well, I guess for me it's always been pretty specific because I've never been anything other than a museum curator. And when people ask me what I do, I do always say I am a museum curator. So I've always worked in public institutions, nonprofit making institutions, institutions that have um, a mission to serve a wider public. So um, that's always been a huge part of what um, doing the job has meant to me. Um, it's also meant having a kind of civic or social responsibility to looking after um, a national collection. So you're entrusted with a certain set of responsibilities, but not for yourself, but for this kind of greater good. You know, the collection will be there when you're not there. Um, so I think I've had always had a sense of the word as being something that was less about me personally and more about um, a relationship to a whole, a more about a relationship to objects in my care and um, 
artists that I was lucky enough to get a chance to work with in that space. So when you're able to speak with uh, younger students, uh, artists, possible curators at some point, how do you relate to them what you do um, as, as maybe a distinction from how they engage with that word or that, that action in their everyday lives? Well, I guess it's often um, a question of saying what it isn't. It's always interesting to see how curators are depicted um, in television series. Um, I was even saying to um, a group of Spelman students today, you know, it's not like you see on TV where you're wearing like a little Prada dress and you've got like a whole team of people and you're saying, no, move that a little bit to the left. You know, kind of like a very beautifully dressed interior decorator and then you kind of go off. And I mean, and even interior design is something that's completely other than how that's represented. So I won't get into that. But um, I think it's more just about answering questions. You know, if people want to know what does your day-to-day look like? How, how have you gotten to, to where you are? And so just explaining a path of, um, of study, of what I've been personally or professionally interested in, um, and then trying to take note of how the field has changed, too, because, you know, there's so many more curating courses now than that there used to be. Um, I learned how to do my job actually in the museum context, so almost more like an apprentice. So um, the first few months that I was an, a junior curator at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London, I would just follow around um, the curators that I worked with um, and watch them do what they did. And then they would explain to me various aspects of, um, well, printmaking techniques in particular, or what it meant to um, be engaged in collections care, how you answer um, inquiries from the public about given works of art. Um, And then through that process, also engaging with conservators, understanding how um, objects are looked after, how they're put on display, how you might want to think about them in relation to others, and really what it means to, um, to make an exhibition or a display. You know, why does something need to exist in three dimensions? Why are you showing people rather than telling them? Why does the language of an exhibition make sense as opposed to just having a conversation or writing an essay or having a conference where you're talking to other of your peers? You know, there are the, the, the different ways of communicating, and exhibition making is a specific way of communicating. So trying to to communicate some of that and answer some of those questions so that instead of people just thinking like, wow, that's a cool job, and it is a pretty cool job, but that you're also able to satisfy for yourself why you think something should exist in the world for a particular reason and what you might do to help communicate that to others. How much writing and research do you do these days? A lot <laughs> is the short answer. Um, it, it depends. Well, with a project like Soul of a Nation, um, it was a really privileged period, but also like an incredibly intense few years of kind of pretty much reading and writing and researching every day. And so the exhibition catalog is one um, kind of proof of that research. But then the exhibition that's now... Um, at Crystal Bridges in Bentonville, Arkansas, and that had been on view in London from July to October last year, 2017, um, was also part of that. Um, But the way that we, Mark um, Godfrey and myself, um, who co-curated the exhibition, um, 
the way that we wrote about the exhibition on the walls in the gallery is a very different way to how we wrote about um, the artworks in you know what will be a book that people are sitting down and reading or maybe flipping through and dipping in and out of so um, there are lots of different ways you know research doesn't necessarily have like just one outlet or you might also be writing like very short blog posts or captions for uh, Instagram so that for the museum's purposes, they focus on one work of art and then people might see one specific thing about it. So there are actually lots of different ways. I think sometimes research can feel really heavy and like, you know, you're some scholar and you're like wearing a monocle and, you know, you've got like, um, I don't know, uh, these big dusty books that you're looking through. But um, the real exciting part of doing the research for this exhibition was how active it was and how lived it was and how much of it it was in the present tense that we were privileged enough to be able to to travel all over the country and to be in the studio with artists and to ask them questions and in some cases to actually you know be with them in their homes or you know literally kind of sift through paintings and artworks to try and locate something that we had seen a picture of in a book in 1971 or something like that so um, the research was also involved um, detective work lots of talking a huge amount of listening um, and that's that's what was the most exciting about it so the writing becomes uh, a way of sharing that with other people a kind of um, passing on what you were able to benefit from and learning from the artist. As someone who grew up in the United States and working in London for this institution, what what is your thinking when it comes to curating work that is from uh, black culture in America and then giving that a home and a space in the UK, um, where there may be a different audience for that work. Talk about maybe what it was like to bring that work from the U.S., so to speak, um, into this space in London. Well, I mean, the short answer is it's my culture, so I didn't think about it as anything kind of foreign or other, you know. It's what I've known and what I've grown up with and what I lived, and so I was very um, excited to be able to share that with other people and um, the framework for the exhibition, you know, the the temporal context being um, a period of time that people know so well through music, through documentary images of, you know, such a volatile period in history um, was both a kind of a help and a hindrance because in some ways it gives people um, an entry point. They're kind of like, okay, well, I know the period you're talking about. But then in other ways, it kind of um, presumes a certain set of assumptions about what the exhibition might be. And we really did want to be led by the artist. You know, we really, really wanted to say, like, these are phenomenal painters, phenomenal sculptors. And no, they didn't all agree. They didn't all have the same points of view. So we can look at this time period. Um, and actually, a lot of people may think they know American art in this period, and they might name check um, Andy Warhol or um, any number of other artists, you know, if they're a little bit up on um, mid-century 
modern art, you know, they might also name like Cy Twombly or other people who were contemporaries of the artists in this exhibition. But it's still possible that very few of the artists in this exhibition would be known to a wider and wider museum-going audience. So it was... Um, it was exciting, it was also a challenge, and it also felt like a big responsibility. Um, one of the jokes that I have often told people is that at a real point of um, like kind of mental and physical exhaustion in the research, I was speaking on the phone to my grandmother, and she was asking me how I was doing, and I said, you know, I just really feel like I have to get this right for all of us. And I was expecting my grandmother to come in with like, no, baby, don't put that on yourself. But her answer was, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and I thought, okay, let me get back to work. Um, so, of course, there was a responsibility. But I think, as I'd often um, relayed to colleagues in internal briefings, like, we've got this. We can do this together. You know, th the reason why we're here in this museum is because... We care about art and artists. So, for instance, in the volunteer briefings, that was something that we could say, that I could say to empower people that, you know, these are great painters, these are great sculptors, and this is the starting point for how you can interpret the work when you're there in the galleries and people might ask questions. So, um, it was very important to emphasize the art and the artwork. And, and not to um, really stretch out what might be misinterpreted as this kind of like cultural divide, because it wasn't. And, and people really got it, and people were really open to the work. And there was not, in any sense, any public or um, you know, professional critical feedback about um, a disconnect between this being the work of black artists in the United States um, and the work being shown in the UK. It's a question that I get asked often, but it was not actually a question that bore out in, in real life in the response to the exhibition. Can you say more about the nuances between black identity in the U.S. versus the U.K.? Um, well, in the period that we cover in the exhibition, 1963 to 1983, um, many of the artists would be dealing with a same set of social circumstances, um, something that uh, Linda Goodbryant, who would go on to found Just Above Midtown Gallery, has described as the difference between those things that are extrinsic, those things that are imposed upon us, and what's intrinsic, you know, what's in us that we want to, to come out. Um, and to summarize, you know, a lot of that had to do with institutional racism um, and exclusion from social circles. But as we try to make clear in the exhibition, Artists are engaging with one another. You know, Alice Neal was on the picket line for the Black Emergency Cultural Coalition alongside Benny Andrews and many other artists, kind of holding to account New York area museums that weren't showing the work of black artists. Um, so in a British context, you have an artist like Frank Bowling, um, born in British Guyana, but who studied at the Royal College of Art with David Hockney and a number of other artists, um, who found despite having garnered the silver medal in painting, that there was really no space for him in London in the mid-60s to show his work and 
be a viable, um, successful painter the way he was seeing um, his peers able to navigate. Um, and on that basis, he ended up uh, moving to the United States um, in 1966 and has maintained a studio practice both in the U.S. and in London to this day. Um, he was part of a peer group that included um, Jack Whitten and Melvin Edwards, William T. Williams, and a number of other artists who we have in the exhibition. So that shared sense of purpose in terms of um, pursuing one's art form um, despite these kind of extrinsic circumstances is something that is unifying um, a context that people sometimes refer to um, and sometimes in America it can be an eye-opener that in and around this time period in a UK context where you also have to factor in um, a different relationship to the British Empire, to colonialism, um, to the birth of the British Commonwealth, um, both black in terms of um, people of African descent, um, whether from the Caribbean or elsewhere in the African diaspora, as well as people from the Asian subcontinent and the Asian diaspora, um, were all calling themselves black. And that designation was slightly different. Um, the black arts movement in the UK actually really starts to pick up around the time our exhibition closes. So the black art group, BLK art group in Wolverhampton, um, including Sonia Boyce, Keith Piper, Marlene Smith, and a number of others, really doesn't start to take off until 1984. Um, and so that, you know, that's another wonderful exhibition that needs to happen. Um, there's a whole rich history there um, in terms of uh, groups like the Black Audio Film Collective, which included members that were both um, from the African diaspora, like John Akamfra, and from the Asian subcontinent, like Lena Gopal. Um, so there, there are a number of stories there. But again, I think with Soul of a Nation and its reception, it's less about the distinction between a black American experience and uh, a British audience than it is uh, a group of artists who have just been incredibly well received because people are hungry to, um, to learn more. I think a lot of times people um, assume that museums aren't for them or that you know, modern art is somehow only for someone else um, because the parameters that we put around it um, don't allow for these possibilities, for this multiplicity of stories. And I often quote uh, the Gorilla Girls, uh, a feminist collective of anonymous women who say that unless all of our voices are included in the history of art, then it isn't a history of art, it's a history of power. And that is really the kind of, the underpinning of this exhibition, um, that a lot of these kind of divisions that can be very easily thrown up um, start to fall away in the face of the work. People see the work and want to engage with it. They want to know more. They're not thinking, um, well, this is an African-American artist, and I'm not African-American, so I'm not interested. Far from. That just wasn't how it played out. What does it mean to be here at Spelman? It's been so exciting to be here at Spelman for a number of reasons, um, one of which, to loop back to your research question, is because um, Linda Good Bryant, who is the kind of 
the visionary behind the final room of the exhibition, um, is an alumna of Spelman. Um, in her student days here, she actually cataloged the collection at Clark Atlanta, um, which I had the privilege of visiting just before we started the podcast. Um, so we're in a place of not only so much history, but um, I think so much potential for the future too. So it's it's just an incredibly exciting moment to be here, not only with the student body, but to have seen a range of artworks that I'd only seen in in books and in pictures. So it's been uh, a really great day, and it's really wonderful to be here in the city. Zoe Whitley, thank you for your time. Thank you.